0: Amen. Thank you. And it is true. The rescue of our souls is our common theme as we gather every Sunday. And it's the greatest story that could ever be told. Take your Bibles this morning. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, the last chapter. We're studying our way through the book of Ephesians. And we are now, of course, in Ephesians chapter 6, coming to the conclusion of this wonderful book of doctrine and great practice. If you're a guest here today, we're certainly glad you're with us. Trust you'll enjoy the service. It's just great to have you here. Ephesians chapter six. Hope you're there. We've just finished a key section in chapter five on family life and how submission looks in the life of husbands and wives and children. We even talked about how it looks in in terms of employees and in the church itself. Chapter five, verse twenty one. We noted that uh, that general theme submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And so our spirit, really, of mutual obedience and deference is the very oil that makes the family, the home, and our lives work well. If we expect other relationships to flourish, we, uh, we ourselves need to be in submission to God. And so we drilled down on that wonderful word that everybody loves to talk about, submission. And now we've moved into chapter 6 a little bit. What a Christian home ought to look like, and I love the story of a little girl who <clears throat> came home from church just sobbing in the car, crying her eyes out. Her dad asked her, Honey, what's wrong? more tears, more tears and she He said, "Honey, you can tell us what 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 what's wrong Well, the pastor said she said sobbing. The pastor said, We should grow up in a christian home and she said I just want you to, know I want to stay with you guys. (laughs) Ouch. Um, Our homes should all reflect this spirit of mutual submission and submission to the Lord. As we love Him with all of our hearts, our hearts should reflect this great truth that we are truly Christ-centered in the way we act and react to one another. A home submitted to God is a home that flourishes in its relational attitude and respect. Our focus today is on preparing our own hearts for the spiritual battle. The question is, are you battle ready? Uh, are you ready for the battle? Some of you say, what battle? I hope that's not your response. I hope you know that you're engaged and broiled in a conflict. It's the conflict of the ages, the conflict for your soul and the desires of your heart. Most people, sadly, at least in this culture and country, are unaware of the enemy and unprepared for battle at all. Some great messages we heard earlier part of the week, and I trust your heart is made sensitive to your need for God's leadership, God's strength and power in your lives. Turn your attention to to chapter 6 and verse 5. Finally, isn't that a great word when you're hearing a preacher, sometimes a little bit long-winded? Finally, Paul finally gets there. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this privilege of of preaching and uh, preaching this wonderful text, this word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts today in a special way. Fill me with your spirit. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would be receptive to the truth of the word. Thank you for the good lessons already learned in our emphasis this week Uh, with Adrian Burden. I pray you'll just bless his ministry. And I pray that you'll just help us to go forward, inviting folks, discipling folks, and doing our best while you give us Uh, this opportunity to put on the armor of light, as Paul says in Romans chapter 13. Help help us, Lord, to be dressed with the right kind of armor for the battle to which we are called. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you battle-tested, battle-ready? Well, you might have a a question uh, raised to you as a dad, mom and dad. What would you say if your teenager came to you and said or asked you, Hey, parents, how's a kid supposed to not give in to the culture of immorality, entertainment, drugs, popularity, success, and somehow a great person, a great soldier for Jesus Christ? What if they ask you that? How am I supposed to be ready for the temptations, the tests of life? And maybe they would go on and say, I just don't know, Dad, if it's really worth it. To fight the culture. My friends are all into, you know, the world's music, the culture. And honestly, it just seems like they're doing great. They're having a great time. They're having fun. Why do we need to fight it at all? What's the use? Even if I wanted to fight it, how am I supposed to win? To overcome these strong impulses in my heart? I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave. I'm, I'm prone to go away from the... The road of obedience and submission to God. Dad, how am I supposed to win in this battle? Help me develop a spiritual spine. What would you say? Wouldn't it be great if somewhere on a shelf somewhere there was this can of spiritual starch for your spine? You just bought it and applied it? How do we do? Paul says, having done all, stand. I wonder if your battle... Ready. In anatomy, your spine is the foundation, of course, of your skeletal structure, support system. It protects and and encloses the spinal cord, which is the nerve column. It sends signals from your brain to the rest of your body. How, how is your spiritual stamina for standing up in a culture so given to collapse, so given to impurity? How, how's it going with you? your heart, your spiritual armor, are you prepared for the battle? You know, I appreciate this verse here, Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, this whole text is about standing strong. Let's continue reading, shall we, in the Bible that you have there. Continue reading, beginning at verse 11. Put on the whole armor, not part of it, but put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. These are invisible forces aligned against you. Did you even know that they're there? They're out uh, to capture your soul. The stakes are high. Wherefore, be prepared, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, we're hearing this theme repeated. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Here's the armor enumerated, the pieces of the armor explained, or at least identified, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. No doubt Paul was, at this moment, writing this from a prison in Rome, and he was chained, not only to the wall maybe, but to another Roman guard who is dressed fully in the clothes of a soldier. He didn't have to look far for this illustration. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He is intense about being ready for the battle. Are you ready? Or do you just fall for anything? I uh, I want us to know that there has been, <laughs> I don't know what you think about Brother Roloff when I was growing up. Uh, KGRG was playing uh, Christian radio in our house almost every day, my mother in the kitchen. And so we heard this all the preachers in the the 70s and 80s, and Brother uh, Lester Roloff was one of those. And he didn't mince words. He was one of those guys, like him or not, he stood for some things. Either you stand for something or someone said you fall for everything. It is one of his quotes, Christian families are under attack in America. This is back in the 70s. In the 80s, the communists, he names a few, Masons, Atheists, Humanists, Evolutionists, other godless sickos. do you like that theological word? Wanted to destroy the family. Parents, beware. The government wants your child. He uh, just wanted to help boys and girls, so he started the Rebecca Home for Girls in Corpus Christi, Texas. He started the Lighthouse, a ministry to wayward boys. He started the Family Altar Broadcast, the People's Baptist Church there. He fought for decency in the laws and stood against intrusive uh, governmental intrusion, of course, in uh, the operation of his HELPS Ministries there in Texas. He stood against medicating sin. Here's what he said in a quote one time in a sermon. He said, our runaway children come to us here in Texas Wrapped up in sin, but the best our child psychologists and doctors can do is put them on pills. I can hear him preaching in my uh, from the radio, where my mom listened to him in the kitchen. He says we have all colors of pills. We have green pill for anxiety, a yellow pill for frustration, an orange pill for unhappiness, a black pill for a black pill for a bad day at school, and then a white pill when everything else fails. No, he said, I believe these pills are unnecessary for our kids. The problem is our preachers haven't prescribed the right pill, the gospel, he said. When we do, brother, we find the real answer to our problems. When he died, two words came to my mind. As I was able to listen to many of his sermons, he stood. Having done all, he stood. You want to stand for something, as I mentioned, or you will fall for anything. That quote, has been attributed to many people, but it's true. What do you stand for? What are your convictions? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be therefore steadfast, immovable, and then always abounding in the work of the Lord. What do you stand for? Having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, verse 14, having this armor of preparation. First of all, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Paul has established the fact, because of God's good pleasure, speaking of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3, because of God's good pleasure, He's called us into His family, brought us to life out of this This dungeon, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, chapter 2, and he's given us life. He's uh, forgiven our sins by the gospel and the grace. He's newly natured us. He's made us his ongoing workmanship, his poem. He's sealed us. Uh, with his spirit. He's given us his name, a new home. He has also covered our sins. He's filled us with the hope of our inheritance. He's given us the Holy Spirit, sealed us with the Holy Spirit. All these are doctrinal truths that prepare us for the battle and the world in which we live. Are you even aware that there's an enemy? So first of all, we're, not, we're to know from this passage that the power we have inside of us is an invincible power. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong how? In the Lord. This is not your battle, although you participate in it. Cooperate with the Lord. But you cannot of your own self overcome the devil. Be strong in the Favorite phrase of the Apostle Paul is, you're in Christ because of your new relationship. The power we have is invincible. Look at it. It's the verse that says, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Or you could even rephrase that. You could be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. What sort of power is that? When the Greek, the the, the word is uh, krate, it's a domination, it's an irresistible might. Be strong in the power of God that is a overcoming, irresistible, invincible force. Demonstrated not only at the cross but through and the resurrection, but demonstrated through the life of Christ, His power over sin, over sickness, over death, uh, over the dominion, and, the, and, and, and the, some people say, I just can't overcome this. As a believer, if you're in Christ, you, have, you don't fight for victory, you fight from, from victory. God's already promised it to you. So we are to be strong in that mighty, invincible power. 2 Timothy 2:1 Be strong in the grace that is in Christ. So you don't wake up in the morning, slap yourself in the face, and say, listen, I'm just this powerful force, and I can do this. No, I can do all things what? Through Christ who strengthens me. We are really helpless. The resurrection is proof positive of this power. Ours in Christ. What a great starting point. We have to understand that as we lace on this armor and we are to to be prepared, we have a part to play in this, but as we lace up for the day, as we put on these wonderful elements listed at the end of chapter six or towards the end, we have to understand, first of all, it is because of my relationship to Christ that I can handle sin. I can handle the tests of life, the diagnosis that would shake or move someone else. I can stand firm in the fact that I am in Christ. He's called me to himself. He's given me his nature. He's given me his presence. He's given me his plan. He's provided for me his resource. Then I know that the victory is mine already, no matter what happens to me. I'm in Christ. And here comes the devil, right? He's after you. But by virtue of my relationship to God, I hide in Him. Since God be with us, who can be against us? There's a good illustration of this. In uh, this, isn't Jim Berg's daughter? But I thought it would illustrate what happened with his daughter when she was a young girl. She was playing in the sandbox back behind her house and having a great time with. Her friends and, of course, the neighborhood bully showed up and uh, ran her out of her own sandbox. Can you believe that? She, he did. And with a raised fist, he said, Get out of this sandbox. It's my sandbox. And she began to cry. And she headed back towards her house. And there in the doorway, actually, as the story is told by Jim Berg, he was standing, really, the door was closed, but he was standing. And this isn't Jim Berg, by the way, but he was standing. <laughs> He was standing behind the screen door, it was closed, but she got halfway back to the house and she recognized her daddy standing there. Be strong in the Lord. And she looked at her daddy, who was observing this whole thing, whole thing with the sandbox and the bully. She turned around resolutely went up to the sandbox and to the bully and said, you need to get out of my sandbox and go home and quit bothering me. And he, of course, said, who says? And she said, I say, and he says too, (laughs) pointing at her. And then the bully looked at the man standing, recognized daddy wasn't too far away. And he got out of the sandbox and left. It is because of the relationship she had to a greater force and a greater power that gave her the courage then to stand up and resist the bully in the sandbox. It is because of my relationship to Christ that allows me to fight this great foe called Satan or the devil. It's important to realize the enemy we face is deceptive. The power we have is Christ. It is irresistible. It is great. It is invincible. But the enemy we face is, we must understand who he is. Uh, we don't obsess by studying demonology or the devil, but we need to understand the Bible identifies him. For we wrestle not, well, let's back up to verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What do you think that word means? Uh, perhaps you have a, another uh, Alternate translation there, or you might see the, the, the explanation there. Put on the whole armor, rather you may be able to stand against the wiles. What is that? It's his tricks. In uh, the Greek, it's his uh, methodia. It's his schemes or his, his uh, it could include tricks. The wiles or the schemes or the methods. It's in the Greek there of the devil. Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, he is real, a real person. His goal is your destruction. And, of course, his methodea, his scheming, is always and will continue to be deception. To what extent he is aware of his own fate is not mine to know. We can speculate about that. He definitely knows Scripture. He's read the book of Revelation. He knows his final end. Whether he believes it or not, I don't know. But he knows Scripture and twists it often. He did that with Eve in the garden. He did it with Christ chapter 4. And the mount of, of course, temptation or in the wilderness of temptation. And he's read the words of Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. So if he began his quote-unquote uh, uh, activity and operation on earth with a deception in the garden, it will end with him holding on to this methodea, this scheming plan of his to deceive the elect. The devil that deceived them was cast to the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, Antichrist, the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen? He doesn't win, but he can win in real time with you and me. Deception was his trade in the garden. It will be the legacy he carries with him to the lake of fire. And so we are to, as believers, we are to buy the truth and sell it not. Are you standing up against the wiles of the devil? And how does he he do that? In In the language of verse 11, the wiles, the schemes. How does he lie to you? How does he lie to us? Well, the answer is every time he opens his mouth. All the time, in every way. In every arena of life, he is taking truth and twisting it or redefining it. He's taking what is familiar to us as believers, and he takes it and he and he just twists it a little bit enough for us to accommodate to it. Say, well, maybe that's okay. Remember the garden? He said, Eve, yes, God, or has God said this? Well, Eve, what God really meant was, or if you do this and eat of the fruit, you will really be blessed. You'll be more like God. That's what God really meant. He's always selling us deception dressed as truth. And his favorite wily scheme is to redefine truth and make it more accommodating to our human tastes. He poisons us with just a drop or two, so that we don't even recognize it. He's always glamorizing, beautifying sin. And he, he, he loves to rename things. Have you noticed that? Equal rights, social justice, communism, equality act. Yes, black lives matter. Amen, they do. But if you get to the details, the devil's in the details right? The platform is anything but just about supporting the African American culture. The agenda is devilish in some ways. Immigration reform sounds good. Green earth. We all vote for a green earth. Gender reassignment. But you dig deep and underneath these layers of niceness There is a devil who's writing the script often. He takes the murder of a baby and calls it what? A woman's right to choose. He whispers to Eve in the garden, disobedience is really your pathway to enlightenment. The perversion of sexuality is really what the world calls gay. Sodomy he paints with colors of the rainbow, bright hues of wisdom, tolerance, sophistication, status, inclusion, love. It's called free love. Evolution, the foolish notion that poses a theory that order can come from a big bang, an explosion. He covers that failed notion with a word called science. The Triassic period. What is that? It sounds scientific. Adultery is a fling, good for your marriage. Paul calls these schemes nothing more than philosophies incited by seducing spirits spirits and doctrines of demons, 1 Timothy 4.1. Are you aware that everywhere you look, in culture, even in the church, even in the voice of your good friend, the devil can pop up? What is it? Having a great conversation about the deity of Christ? And Christ has given Peter a great commendation. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God in heaven, Peter, just said, you're the son of, son of God. <laughs> and then he says something else immediately. Peter says, after the Lord disc- disc- discloses that he's going to go to the cross and die. And Peter says, may that never happen to you. Hush, Lord. And what does the Lord say to his good friend Peter. Get thee behind me. Instead of saying Peter, he says what? Satan. Not everything you read from even Christians, the internet, is necessarily Christ-centered. You know that. But these schemes and methods of the devil are so successful, so seductive, so alluring, that if it were possible, Matthew 24, 24 says, he would deceive the very elect. He's after you. He's after your heart. That's who we're dealing with. Though he's invisible, he's there. He's everywhere. He's not omnipresent. We know that. But he's He's infiltrating every realm of life in order that the targets of his ire and and anger would be destroyed. He hates the church. He hates Israel. He hates God. He hates Christians. He hates order. And so he's after that. It will be, of course, during the tribulation that he will be tied up at the end of the tribulation and meet his fate for a thousand years. He will Course, come back to deceive the elect even after the millennium. But what's amazing is he is he is always about deception. Israel herself will be duped during the tribulation period, and they will they will be really most of them will go after the Antichrist, right? The embodiment of Satan. Israel herself will be enamored by the Antichrist, whose spirit is now at work in the world. You've heard the words, the cancel culture. Notice verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So where does this come from? Who is your battle with? Who are you fighting? Well, there's a ranking here. There's, a, there's tiers here, uh, a hierarchy, a, a spiritual mafia in verse 12. For we wrestle not, it's not your wife. It's not the school principal you're fighting. Really. It's not, it's not about even politicians, kings and kingdoms. It is this invisible kingdom that is dead set on pushing an agenda that's devilish. It's anti-God. Here, here they are listed for us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The point is not that we have to diagnose all these different rankings and stratas of, of darkness and evil. But the, Paul would let us know there is, a, there is a vast army of unseen spiritual forces aligned against you to seek your destruction. So don't la, 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 la your way through life not knowing and not aware of the battle you're in. We're in a battle for our souls. Before we look at that last point, I want you to know that a little bit about this this devil's history. In Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, Revelation 12, we are told that before he fell with a third of the angels in heaven and taking them with him. He was in some way a lead <clears throat> or chief angel in heaven. Some speculate an archangel in a charge of uh, worship and song in heaven. You think about that. And you might think about the music you listen to. He is vitally aware and engaged in the music. He was in the music ministry in heaven. And now his Uh, His history and background bring him to a place where he uses music in a special way to turn your heart. He wanted to be like God. He was lifted up with pride. He fell from heaven as lightning and now he lives to oppose everything that is good and godly. Longing for worship now, he loves to deflect praise rightly belonging to God and delights in the hatred of the church in Israel. That's our enemy. And and we have to understand that he is at work. Jesus spoke of him often. It wasn't just this idea that he's this man in a um, this man in a, a suit, imaginary character, mystical character that wears a red suit and lives in a hot place where there's a lot of flames, and has a pitchfork. No. Jesus not only spoke about him. Jesus spoke to him personally when he was in the wilderness, the time of testing. And uh, and we need to know that he is after our hearts, too. He is a great at camouflage. He can be an angel of light, a roaring lion, a serpent, a dragon, or a smiling seduction, a link on your page. He's working now, the spirit of disobedience. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world is under his seductive spell. John 16, 11 calls him the God or the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he is the accuser of the brethren. Ephesians 2, 2 calls him the prince of the power of what? The heir. He and all levels of demon activity beneath him have been expelled from heaven, but do really every day operate in order to destroy your soul, to pull you away from God. By God's allowance. He's somehow allowed, not only though he was cast out of heaven, he's allowed to visit once in a while. We know that because of the book of Job. Job says uh, in the first chapter, the second chapter, he says, uh, the Lord asked the devil who appears among the sons of God in heaven. And the Lord, not surprised, says, what are you doing? And what have you been doing, Satan? And you know what he says? He says, I've been roaming around. Doing What? What have you been doing? He's continually strolling, creeping up and down the earth, spying on God's people in order to do them harm. Though not omniscient or omnipresent, he is aware. And he hates God's work. He hates Christians. I labor this point a bit for uh, there are many churches that make it a point to, to try to name demons and bind demons, and somehow engage spiritual warfare with them by talking to demons first person or naming them thou foul spirit of of whatever, Reno or Las Vegas. Paul does not teach that, nor does the Bible. It doesn't teach us techniques for exorcism, by the way, or delving deeply into this world spoken of in Ephesians 6. It wants us to be aware that our enemy is there. But we're not to go around uh, just putting out a shingle, I'm an exorcist. Or trying to bind some unnamed, unknown, invisible spirit that we perceive has got a force field over a city somewhere. And calling Christians together to kind of a spiritual warfare against this demon of whatever. No. No. As I started, we are to run to Christ because we're in Christ. Be strong in the mighty power, the uh, invincible power that is in Christ. You're not strong enough. I remember our first church. Somebody convinced me for an Awana program that we ought to have in uh, some spiritual power team. And I don't know why I was young. I said, okay, sounds good. Here they came, five or six muscle-bound guys. And they were going to do the challenge for the Iwana kids. And I didn't really know what they are up to. I thought it was good. Good thing. And they came in. And uh, they blew up hot water bottles by their mighty force of air in their lungs. And they popped them. That was impressive. And then they took phone books and ripped them apart. Wow. Strength. Human strength. And then they did some flexing for Jesus. And then they told us how that we are supposed to just run out there and kick the devil in the eye, kick the devil, swing across hell if you have to at a rotten corn stalk and poke the devil in the eye. I thought how foolish is that. After that was over, we we're all ready to just run out into the darkness and hit something, you know. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we're not to, we're no match for the devil, prepared to stand the fight. We'll not get through, of course, all the protective armor, but I wanted to share with you the armor we need is the strength of the Lord. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This armor of light, spoken of in Romans chapter 13, is mentioned. for It's a spiritual clothing. It's not actual physical. But he was using the Romans' armament, the Roman clothing that a soldier would wear in order to press a point for us. You have a part to play in this. It's not that you just say, Lord, I'm letting go uh, and, and you're going to fight my battles for me. Yes, he will do that if we are submissive to him. But we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. How ready are you? So uh, we are, uh, I think, in a ditch of ignorance if we say, I don't even think there is a devil. He's just an imagination. Or if we think we can just buy our own strength and power, flex our way into oppressing the devil with our human strength. No. We're to submit to the Lord. That's the whole point of Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. And then we're to address ourselves spiritually for this battle. For we wrestle not, verse 12, against flesh and blood. Wherefore, verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God. Don't leave any piece off. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And this is that day. If you wondered when it is, each day gets a little more evil evil men uh, and seducers, and the agenda of the devil becomes more and more um, uh, strong each generation. Stand in the evil day, having done all, stand. God's asking us to stand. So what are they? Obviously uh, we are not wrestling with one another. Uh, the the word is pale, it's 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 an interesting word. The idea is we wrestle it's hand-to-hand combat. We wrestle with uh, the devil, and this means it's immediate. It's uh, felt forcibly. We know because when, uh, when the, the devil comes against us, we sense his, his attacking presence in the way that we live, in the way that we respond to the culture, in the way that uh, life comes to us. We know that he's there. And it's not about just saying, okay, here's a verse. I'm going to put it on my refrigerator. In fact, I'll use one of these verses, and everything's going to be good. No, Paul is saying you are taking part in this fight. You're going to prepare because the battle is real. How does it come to you? It might come through a temptation at work. It might come through an attitude of depression. It may come from a lot of ways, but you'd be ready for this battle. It might come through a seduction that you face or an ongoing temptation, a sin that so easily ensnares you. But we are in a wrestling match, the unseen foe. We have to battle for our souls. Thousands go to hell every, every moment of the day. So God is, uh, is, there's, this, this, there's this, this, one, this battle that's being fa- uh, fought in the heavens and on the earth as well. And it will eventuate with God destroying this devil with the word of his mouth. But until then, we are to engage in this battle with the devil as well. And Duo says, get ready. Uh, take unto you, put on, the whole armor of God. And duo means once and for all, not occasionally every other day, but you are to be dressed in these attitudes, these, these glorious armaments of light every day. It's a permanent thing. Never set it aside. Of course, surrounding Paul in jail were these soldiers that were illustrative of this. A prepared soldier looked like, had fighting clothes on. And so he starts, verse 14, have your loins girt about with a belt of truth. This uh, belt of truth was worn primarily uh, by soldiers. It was not worn in that day by others. And it really spoke of uh, the countering deception with truth. It's foundational to the whole armor uh, that this Roman soldier would wear. It's the belt that kind of, held everything together. Let me just say this to parents. It's not just about putting verses, as I mentioned, on your refrigerator or even memorizing things. Uh, It's good to have your family devotions, but the idea here in the original is that this truth ought to not only be well known, but it ought to be well practiced. You can't be hypocritical about it. The devil will see through it. God certainly knows your heart. Truth ought to be embraced, known, and then practiced. If you start to go to battle, have your loins girt the belt of truth, foundational. Scriptures know them, which will make you wise into salvation, but learn to live them. And then there's the breastplate of righteousness. This was made of leather to protect the vital organs, speaks to guarding your own heart. Not only dressed in God's truth, of imputed righteousness and practiced righteousness. There's a sense of personal holiness and right living, the opposite of hypocrisy, the guarding my heart. It's one thing to come to church and dress up. Quite another to every moment of every day guard your heart from impurity and motives that would drag you away from true service for Christ. Are you a Christian in your heart, as the song says? The breastplate of, made of heavy leather, guarding the chest, the stomach, the internal organs, vital for life, the seat of thought and emotion. How is my heart? Does God have it? Guard your desires, affections, and motives. Are they battle ready? Are they right and righteous? Are you inside what you profess to be externally? Then verse 15 speaks to the feet, the footwear of the sho- uh, shoulder, the footwear of the soldier. Brought stability in battle. In those days, they would put pieces of of bone, perhaps, and they would embed that at the base of their uh, of their sandals for battle, or their or the feet for the footwear for battle, in order for stability. This doesn't talk necessarily about knowing the Romans Road or knowing how to lead someone to Christ. This is this assurance that you are in Christ, that you are saved. The context isn't about going to the mission field and sharing your faith. The context here is about fighting the devil. And so the idea here is having your feet shod with this, this 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 footwear that's stable. And that when the battle comes and the battle is fierce and the devil opposes and oppresses us. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane. How oppressive it must have been before the cross. to, to The temptation to give it up, to do something else. To, um, to, to actually go against the Father in heaven's will. There was a temptation to do that, to say no to the cross. And yet there's this wonderful stability that we know God, we know the will of the Father, we have been saved. Uh, John 5, 24, most assuredly I say to you, verily, verily, I say to you, He that heareth, a, uh, heareth my Father's words and uh, knoweth him will not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life, you know that you're saved. The devil will try to pick that assurance away from you. So know that. Have that stability uh, in your heart and life, that you're genuinely part of the family of God. Standing against the wiles of the devil demands that we know God is living within us. How sure are you this morning that you're saved Don't go to fight a battle with the devil not even knowing for sure that you're part of the family of God. That was the stability the the soldier had in battle, that he knew his foundation, his footing was truth lived out through the personal influence of Christ alive within him. This was a Roman soldier fighting Roman battles. He had that confidence of who he was in Rome. But we have a greater confidence who we are in Christ. So have your foot or your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We know who we are in Christ. There's a peace in our heart that comes that passes all understanding. God's confidence comes from that personal relationship, God's promise to you, God's union with me, God's unfailing plan for me. And so I fight from victory already accomplished. Don't slip away from that anchor point, anchored to the fact that he saved us. You can withstand all powers that come against you. I am devil. I am in Christ. You can't pull me away from that blessed relationship. We'll look at some of the other elements of this armor in our final lesson in the book of Ephesians next week. Let's pray together, shall we?